Western world is disadvantaged versus uh, the developed world when it comes to the pandemic. And it's not just about, um, I don't know, kind of different actions by central banks or even just about differential access to vaccines, but it's about the structures of those economies as well. Barry, the final word to you. What, what are your thoughts on what well, David Mel yes, has said? I, I agree with, uh, with Quentin and with Michelle. Look, the president of a World Bank sees his role as speaking for the developed world, ex-China. So, yes, and clearly what Michelle was saying about the weak infrastructure and how the vaccines, absence of them has hurt these economies. And I think what the bank is really worried about is a rising dollar and a rising interest rate that hurts third world countries far more than anywhere else. Well, thank you all very much. Great to hear from you all. You heard there Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent over in Washington, D.C., Quinton Webb, Asia Markets editor at the Wall Street Journal, and Michelle Lamb, who's Greater China Economist at Societe Generale Corporate and Investment Banking. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a look at Asian markets where there's a nice rebound going on this morning. The SX200 in Australia is up 1%. Uh, in Japan, the Nikkei 225 up one and a third percent. The Cosby is also up over one percent in South Korea. Uh, it's going to be a similar story probably for the Hang Seng at the open as well. Futures markets predicting a jump of about 300 points at the open. In the commodities markets, uh, Brent crude oil pretty well unchanged, $83.73 a barrel. And gold is trading at $1,821 an ounce. That's it for me. Please do join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for Money Talk. Stay tuned for back chat after the news with Janice Wong and Anna Fenton. The weather forecast for today, mainly cloudy, cool in the morning and at night, sunny intervals during the day. Maximum temperature is going to be about 19 degrees and it's going to remain cool in the morning and the next couple of days. Temperature right now is 15 degrees and it's 74% relative humidity. Times 8.32, here's Andrew Shrosky with the half-hour news. The chairman of an education concern group says he supports the government's decision to suspend in-person classes for kindergartens and primary schools, but says the authorities will need to provide support for families until face-to-face classes resume. Mervyn Chung from the Education Policy Concern Group told Ben Che that young children need more protection in light of the Omicron outbreak in Hong Kong. He says the social welfare department and NGOs may need to step in to provide services to families, especially those where both parents work, who may have difficulty taking care of children. So one way out is for the um, uh, for teachers and, and uh, school heads to maintain a very close contact uh, with, with the uh, with the parents in relation to the uh, the, the home based learning and care of uh, of their students. No COVID cases have been found in overnight COVID lockdown and testing operations in North Point and Tun Mun. About 75 people were tested at Maple Gardens on Quinoa Street in North Point. Another 1,249 residents were tested at Block 3 of Potin Estate on Ming Kum Road in Tun Mun. The World Health Organization says more than half of Europe's population will have been infected with the Omicron coronavirus variant within six to eight weeks. The WHO Regional Director for Europe, Dr. Hans Kluge, was speaking at a news conference. He said the variant had already spread rapidly and action needed to be taken. How each country now responds must be informed by its epidemiological situation, available resources vaccination uptake status and socio-economic context. The region saw over 7 million newly reported cases of COVID-19 in the first week of 2022, 
more than doubling over a two-week period. President Biden has given an impassioned speech in support of voting rights reform, saying the next few days could mark a turning point for U.S. democracy. Speaking in Atlanta, Georgia, Mr. Biden said he supported changes to Senate rules, which would allow the reforms to be passed without Republican support. Sadly, the United States Senate, designed to be the world's greatest deliberative body, has been rendered a shell of its former self. Gives me no satisfaction in saying that. I believe that the threat to our democracy is so grave that we must find a way to pass these voting rights bills. Debate them. Vote. Let the majority prevail. And if that bare minimum is blocked, we have no option but to change the Senate rules, including getting rid of the filibuster for this. And finally, the World Bank has said that global recovery is slowing and has cut its growth forecasts for the U.S. and China. But the organization predicts that India will be the fastest growing economy in the world this year. The news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat with Anna Fenton and me, Janice Wong. Good morning, Anna. Good morning, everybody. Today, we're talking about school closures and COVID vaccination for young kids. All childcare centers, kindergartens and primary schools will have to suspend face-to-face classes by Friday. The chief executive, Carrie Lam, who made the announcement yesterday, said classes will be suspended until after the Lunar New Year holiday. Meanwhile, the age threshold for getting the Sinovac vaccine will be lowered to five. And jabs will be offered at schools after the holiday in February. What do you think? Should parents be given more choice when it comes to vaccinating their children? How will another round of school closure affect the mental health of kids and their parents? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or just give us a call on Tuesday. 3388266. Now to uh, kick off our discussion this morning, we have on the line Professor Lao Yulong, a pediatrician who is the chairman of the Government Scientific Committee on Vaccine Preventable Diseases. Also on the line, we have William Cho, the chairman of the Society of Hospital Pharmacists. Good morning to the both of you. Good morning. Welcome to the program. Um, Dr. Lao, let's uh, go to you first. How would you describe yes. the um, timing of the school closure? Well, I think we have multiple cases involving uh, children attending schools now, especially in Tun Mun. Um, so I think we are facing a, a very possible rapid rise if we do nothing. So I think it's a very difficult decision, but needs to be made. Uh, but after having said that, um, I agree uh, that we must be mindful of the impact of school closure to our children. As a pediatrician, I've seen over the last year or so, uh, many adverse effects uh, due to school closure. Children are getting heavier, that is fatter. They are getting less socially uh, interactive. They get more stressed. Uh, they get anxious. A uh, few of them get depressed. Not only that, uh, because of you know the school closure and perhaps accessibility of healthcare, a lot of childhood illnesses, in fact, now present really quite late, uh, resulting in suboptimal uh, sort of uh, treatment outcome. I'll give you an example, like cancer. Some of the cancer really should be diagnosed early and have good outcome, but now it's, it's, it's really presenting late. So I think um, the pandemic is having impact not only through the COVID disease itself, but also through all the ramifications because of the intervention. 
So the only way out is to perhaps uh, be mindful that we have to address uh, how to tackle our vaccination coverage. Now, of course, I've already expressed my view. Uh, the elderly is the most important bit. Uh, I just checked the figures uh, this morning. Up until now, the over 70, we still had a vulnerable nearly 600,000 such elderly. Um, about 300,000 over 80 and about 280,000 between 70 and 79 are still not vaccinated. So whatever we want to um, do for the children in terms of vaccination, I think the most important first thing to do now is to try to reach out to this group of elderly, about 600,000 of them. So uh, what you're saying to, what yeah. you're saying is that the kids are in fact carrying the can for the elderly not being vaccinated? Uh, well, uh, I think the elderly is now coming around. Uh, in the last uh, few days, uh, you can see a lot of uh, you know, old folks are lining up uh, in front of you know the CBC and other of outlets to get the vaccination. So I think the demand is there. So I think the government has uh, been responding, but perhaps uh, should really even be faster, more comprehensive. Uh, say, for example, the, um, the, they have a faster queue for those over 60s now, but I, I think that is the first step. We must monitor uh, these 600,000 elderly, whether we could reach them within the next six to eight weeks. If we could reach them, uh, then even with at a tsunami, we will not see such high mortality cases. And as for the children, I'll just make a quick calculation for the secondary schools. Um, we have about uh, just close to half a million of secondary school age children. And, and I just checked the vaccination coverage is nearly 80% now. So what it means is that we, we still got 20%. And that is translated to 88,000. So this group of uh, secondary schools, children, unless they have medical conditions, cannot get the vaccine because they are treated for cancer or other things, then they should go ahead and get it. Then that possibly would prevent a government or the school authority to think, oh my God, we, we must close the school. Because at least in the secondary school, uh, they have a relatively respectable vaccination coverage, and therefore they have at least the first line uh, of uh, defense. Uh, but mind you, uh, I think the one key message I really want to iterate and reiterate again is the vaccination would not stop the infection. Uh, WHO and many other regulatory authorities have already stressed and re-stressed this point. The vaccination is not to prevent infection because even with three doses of BioNTech, you still get infection in time, all right? The protection will not last. It will last no more than a couple of months or so. The major point to get vaccine is to prevent severe disease and deaths. And that is equally good for both vaccines uh, in terms of deaths. All right. Um, Professor yeah. Lau, I have an email here. I, I don't know if you'll be able to help her um, help her uh, answer her questions. This one is from Anita, who's a parent. Um, she says, uh, as a working mom, she wants to know what the Education Bureau recommends for families where both parents work and they don't have a helper. Her daughter, who's in primary school, will be left home alone once the schools close. Do you I have know, any recommendations um, or advice? I think um, I've heard that during the news break, um, some of the sort of agencies are really mindful of that. I, as a pediatrician, I'm very mindful of that myself. So the hardest hit will be um, the, the less resource families, the less resource families. And, and that is what the pandemic really show us. It's always the poorer countries, the poorer families do not have extra resources, are not that resilient. And so I think we need to build a resilient society and all these 
uh, in fact predated the pandemic, whether we have got good nursery supports, uh, we good support for the families, so that they they they're willing to have the next generation. And I think this uh, problem actually exists well before the pandemic. The pandemic merely really focus on all these issues and magnify it, and so we must feel inadequate, not ashamed, but of course ashamed to a certain extent that perhaps all these problems actually is there before the pandemic. But this is a wake-up call uh, for us all to think about what we want our society uh, to be. All right. Apart from um, announcing the school closure yesterday, the chief executive Carrie Lama she also said the age threshold for getting the Sinovac vaccine will be lowered to five. Um, Mr. Choi, is this what you've been hoping to see? Yeah, the Society of Hospital Pharmacists also supports the expansion of vaccination program for children aged five to eleven years uh, with the Sinovac because this is a uh, good step. To, uh, in order to you know, offer vaccination to children as many as possible. Uh, the reason why we want more children um, have the vaccination because uh, these young children are also a high-risk group, and also we want to build a immune barrier in the community for the protection of people uh, uh, from the COVID-19 infection, especially the elderly, because we know that the vaccination rate for the elderly is quite low, especially for um, elderly age, 80 or uh, years or above. So this is a good approach for the government to, the, uh, to lower down the age. Now, many of the elderly would be living in homes and institutions. Is this the time now to have mobile units going around these homes and just vaccinating people? Yeah, mobile uh, mobile facilities. One of the idea to you know to provide convenience to the elderly. As you know, that we have uh, elderly living alone, and also uh, they also concerned about the traveling to the community vaccination center. So the government tried their best to provide different methods to to access or to approach this kind of elderly. So I think this is a good idea. But but at at the same time, uh, our society hospital pharmacists also um, suggest the government uh, to 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 provide the um, beyond tech vaccines as well. Uh, as as we know, beyond tech is under uh, under the application process and very slow, and then the process is very slow. But the reason why they 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 don't have intention to speed up the process is because. Uh, they anticipate there's a shortage of supply of pediatric uh, uh, beyond their vaccines. That's why they slow down the process. But I think we, uh, as, as I mentioned yesterday, we can use the adult uh, beyond tap vaccine instead of using the pediatric vaccine. So we can withdraw one third dose, uh, one third of the adult dose from the adult uh, beyond tap vaccine. So, so are you saying that uh, you you believe uh, the government should offer both Sinovac and beyond tap uh, vaccines for for kids? Uh, at the moment, Sinovac is already approved for the children aged of 5 to 11 uh, years. But for the uh, BioNTech vaccine, we only have uh, adult BioNTech. We don't have uh, pediatric BioNTech. So uh, at the moment, we uh, undergo a very critical moment, uh, situation whether we can use the adult uh, BioNTech vaccine. Dr. Lau, Dr. Lau, what's your understanding? I mean, authorities here, they have cleared the BioNTech vaccine for children aged 12 and older. Um, do you know why it's taking so long to clear the BioNTech vaccine for, for younger kids? Um, I think that William is exactly right uh, because there's a process that um, all vaccines need to go through for emergency use. Uh, there's a committee called advisory panel 
uh, that is the panel to judge uh, whether that vaccine uh, can be used under the emergency rule, under CAP, um, a, a special uh, soft legislature uh, to, to allow emergency use without um, sort of the full approval uh, process. And in fact, a Sinovac company has already submitted the application uh, for the coronavirus to be used between 3 to 17 uh, last year, and that has been approved uh, by the advisory panel. So, uh, in fact, uh, legally, uh, the coronavirus could be used right down to uh, three years of age, and that, that is uh, sort of already approved. However, for um, you know the Fusen um, um, sort of advisor uh, or BioNTech, they have not actually applied, so they have not gone through that advisory panel assessment uh, to get the legal requirement to be used uh, for that age group five to eleven. And of course, William uh, may have some inside information why they are not applying. Um, but before then, uh, so there is a legal uh, issue uh, whether um, we can just sort of use uh, uh, no, the adult uh, formulation for uh, this 5 to 11 uh, without advisory panel uh, to receive an application and approve uh, such use. But of course, at the end of the day, uh, it's up to the government what uh, they want and whether they can devise uh, a process uh, to allow uh, such usage. Uh, but ha- having said that, that is only the legal e- requirement, and there will be other formulation uh, issue uh, as well. And of course, if anything's happened, uh, whose responsibility and how to address uh, uh, whatever sort of damages that people might perceive. Uh, because, uh, mind you, uh, as you know, for beyond tech, uh, for the young adolescents and young adults, they have myocarditis, and therefore uh, we have a couple of switches in terms of our policy. Can you, can you just explain what that is, please? Yeah, okay. So uh, you, you remember towards uh, the end of last year, we have stopped the second dose of BioNTech for young adolescents because of myocarditis. In Hong Kong, we have got a very centralized healthcare system and we have a group of very dedicated pediatricians and we managed to map out the rate of myocarditis. What, what is myocarditis? That is inflammation of the heart muscles, inflammation of the heart lining, they call pericarditis and myocarditis at a rate for the young male of that age category, uh, one in 3,000, much higher than that reported by Americans uh, in sort of the CDC and so on. Therefore, we stopped the second dose um, sort of around sort of end of year. But uh, just uh, last month, we allowed the second dose to be uh, uh, sort of given uh, if the adolescent only had the first dose, but with the gap or the duration between the first and second dose lengthened from 21 days to three months. And that, that has been shown in some study uh, in Canada that could reduce the myocarditis rate uh, down to one-tenth of the previous rate. And so have we had any cases of myocarditis in young males here? Oh, yes. Um, in fact, a total of uh, over 100 plus cases already been reported. And at least near half of them are, in fact, in the children age group, the adolescent uh, age group. Uh, the excess rate of myocarditis um, after the second dose, uh, in fact, has been observed right up to young, um, especially young male adults, the 29 or 39. So we have to be very careful. So I hope reducing the one, the dose, the full dose, one third dose uh, for that age category would be able to reduce um, the, the, the myocarditis rate uh, in the age category. So I think there must be a very stringent process uh, to look at all the data because in America they have vaccinated tens of millions of children of the age category. So we must look at the data uh, from America and from Israel uh, to see 
whether you know in that age category they would still result in myocarditis. In fact, if that rate it's uh, uh, it's 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 uh, can be tolerated uh, in view of the pandemic, and also we want to know whether the duration between the first and second dose, as given in America, between of 21 days, is the optimal way, or perhaps even in the United Kingdom, they have been mindful of that. So they have been very careful in in United Kingdom. Uh, the vaccine committee has been very careful. They they initially only one dose for the adolescents, and reluctantly they have to add the second dose for the adolescents because of the pandemic uh, coming. But lengthen the duration between the first and second dose as compared to that in the United States. All right, Professor Lau, Professor Lau, yeah. sorry to uh, to cut you off there. Yeah. I have a few emails, um, uh, and yeah. uh, there are some questions from uh, parents who, who are concerned. Um, this one is from David. Uh, he says, I have four points. Firstly, there was a lot of debate over the vaccine tests over children's reproductive systems. Is it wise to give children a vaccine? Second point, did the Education Bureau not know that we have exam situations going on in Form 6 primary? This is a lot of stress for kids and parents. Third point, I want a free voucher for every kid to pay for computer usage, my printer and paper, and we better include optician appointments too. And his fourth point, he wants to know, is this virus airborne? And uh, that email is from David. Um, yeah, that's quite a, quite a few questions there, uh, Dr. <laughs> okay, it's ranging uh, from biology to education to, uh, you know, uh, money to be handed out, uh, as well as the basic biology is wonderful. It's a very clever person. Now, um, for for the coronavirus, it's a very old vaccine it, uh, in terms of the platform use. It's an inactivated form. We have been using inactivated vaccine for over decades, uh, including a flu inactivated vaccine. So for that, uh, there's no 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 worry because we have such a long history of usage. And for the mRNA platform. As far as I know, there's really no data to show it actually got impact on reproductive system. Um, so both vaccines in terms of reproductive system uh, side effects, I do not think we should worry. And then for the second point, I think the Education Bureau are mindful of the stress that's through and sort of the school closure because they're very reluctant, but at the end of the day, they have to make the decision. And I think the government has made a reasonable uh, and responsible uh, sort of decision uh, to close the primary school because they are not protected uh, at all. And we know there's sort of primary six and uh, younger kids uh, in, in nursery already got infected. And this is Omicron. Omicron is very difficult to spot. If you have one case, what it means is that there must be a few more cases around that you have not spotted. And and that's how it actually become a tsunami because it's so difficult to, to pick up, to isolate. And, and also the incubation is so strong, it's only two days. Uh, now we at first I thought it's three days, but now people think it's two days. So it means it's that within a week you have you could have three or four generations. So in in primary school or in nursery school, if you don't close them, and 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 then you have an enormous outbreak in different schools in in in, in Twin Moon and then spread out to everywhere. So I think the stress uh, is a uh, is an evil uh, that comes uh, with the school closure. And I think the primary school um, sort of know the teachers and the principals and that they, they they can just sort of i don't know what to do that do not have the exam yeah everyone will just have um assessment according to the, the you know the continuous the performance or just no assessment why you should have assessment you know in in this critical time if you can think of other way to replace it and in terms of paying out for the computers i do not know how much the treasury 
uh, in the government could hand out. I've just uh, heard they're going to hand out another, I, I can't remember, the, I think it's $4 billion very soon to all these affected uh, businesses. And I, I, I think this is a, a reasonable move and, and hope uh, the citizens uh, could understand. As the, third, uh, the fourth point, it is airborne. I think Omicron is so infectious. If you are not wearing your face mask properly, if, if you wear glasses and you've got steaming up glasses, that means you're not wearing it properly. Um, and I've just heard, uh, you know, the, the cafe employee went to the, you know, the drugstore in only five minutes. <laughs> and then the, the drugstore sort of a, uh, sort of a uh, boss got infected. My God, five minutes. Um, but yeah, sure, we have to respect. It's, it's in certain circumstances, it could be airborne, I suppose. That's why people are switching to N95. But it, it's impractical. You know, N95 is very difficult to wear properly, not at a community scale. I, I think in the hospital, yes, maybe. So I think now we have to realize that we are at the beginning of a possible tsunami. I just check on our world in data. Everyone can check it. It's online. All right. You know, France, Professor, Professor, Professor Lau, sorry, <laughs> Professor Lau, sorry yeah. to cut you off here again. Uh, we have a caller and uh, it's uh, Alan. Good morning, Alan. What do you have to yeah. say? Hi, good morning. How are you? Fine, thank you. Thanks for calling in. I, I really just have a, a, a couple of very basic questions um, uh, regarding school closures. Uh, my first question is, uh, we all know that uh, COVID uh, as a disease and it's all, all its variants really doesn't affect children and it's not deadly to children. And, and by Hong Kong's own studies, uh, you know, the vaccines can cause um, uh, you know, things like myocarditis with kids, on and on. So I, I can keep going with this. So I don't really understand the need to keep closing schools when our children really aren't at risk from the disease, number one. Number two, I don't know, what, what is the end game? What is the end game with COVID? Uh, the Hong Kong government doesn't seem to have any end game. How, how, do, you, how do you have a zero COVID strategy with something that doesn't, uh, will never end. How can you do zero COVID? COVID's always going to be out there. So when does, how does it end? All right. Uh, thank it. Yep. Continue, Alan, please. That's, that's, that, those are my two questions. That's it. All right. Uh, thank you, Alan. Um, Professor Lau? Okay. I'll answer the zero COVID policy first. Obviously, it will not be forever. It will not be forever. If we have all the steps mapped out, uh, hopefully, hopefully, uh, we could see uh, that pandemic transitioning into an endemic phase towards the end of this year. Now, Omicron, uh, of course, is very infectious, very short incubation, and I don't think no country can stop it, and Hong Kong cannot stop it, and it will spread. Uh, I've already mentioned that point of view um, a few days or even a week, 10 days ago. Uh, like, for example, in India and Japan, I just saw the the curve is actually turning up. It's near 100 per, per million pop in India. I just had a WhatsApp call with my Indian friends. So they're seeing more uh, Omicron right now. So what it means that would translate to Hong Kong, that is about 700 cases a day. If we use the France a figure, uh, that is 4,000 per million. So what it means is that if we are in the French stage, we will have seven times four, oh my God, it's 28,000 a day. So do you think we could isolate all these people? No, of course not. And so we will transit into another mode. It is not isolation uh, in, in hospitals, in those special facilities. It will be at home. 
Uh, but why we want to do that is just basically to slow down the rate of increase, so it will not be a vertical increase uh, of uh, cases. Why we want to stop the rate, and hopefully will spread out a longer period of time. So for that tiny percentage, even if one percent need to get to the hospital for oxygen, it will be enormous numbers, and our healthcare system will crash. So the zero COVID is not absolute in a, in, in 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 a way. It will move with time and how to manage uh, for us to transist into the endemic phase without the healthcare system crash. If the healthcare system crash, then the mortality will shoot up. There's over five million people die already, and if you see where these deaths occur, as those countries who have not really uh, sort of, you know, I I do not know. There might be sort of cultural issues, ethnic issues, genetic issues, behavioral issues, uh, respect. Of wearing masks, and social distancing issues, vaccination issues,、uh, and so on.、Uh, but by and large, in East Asia,、uh, we do not see such high sort of death cases.、Uh, but now we transition. Professor Lau,、um, we're、yeah. coming up to a、um, news summary very soon. And do you mind、uh, just staying with us for a few more minutes,、uh, just to finish answering、um, our caller's question? And also, Mr. Choi, is that okay? Yes, yes, okay. okay, can we can we call you back、uh, after the news, maybe? And uh, okay, and uh, we can continue to continue this、uh, discussion right after the news. And、uh, later on, we will also be、uh, speaking to a、uh, school principal and also a psychologist. So if you want to ask questions or just share your views on、uh, today's topic,、uh, you know what to do. Give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. Our number is two three three eight eight two six six. And、uh, now a quick look at the weather:、um, mainly cloudy, sunny intervals later. The top temperature will. Be around 19 degrees. Winds moderate to fresh east to northeasterlies, and、uh, the outlook staying cool in the morning in the next couple of days.、Uh, a few rain patches on Sunday and Monday. Right now, it's 15 degrees, and the relative humidity at the observatory is 73 percent. Doubling over a two-week period. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Wednesday morning with Anna Fenton and me, Janice Wong. In the first half of our program, we spoke to some experts about the need for school closures and the need to vaccinate children.、Um, still with us on the line now is、uh, Professor Lau Yulong, the chairman of the government scientific committee on vaccine preventable diseases. Also on the line is William Cho, the chairman of the Society of Hospital Pharmacists. And、uh, before the news,、uh, Professor Lau, you were answering a、uh, one of our callers' question, and he wanted to know、um, where the government is going with. The zero COVID strategy, and also why is there a need to vaccinate children when、uh, they're not really at high risk of、uh, contracting COVID nineteen? Yes, right. Okay,、uh, I think I've answered more or less about the zero COVID、uh, policy. This、yeah. is just the first phase of handling the pandemic when we got the vaccination rate for the whole population above a certain level, ninety ninety percent plus. Then、uh, that might be the right time to think of how to、uh, so live with quote unquote、uh, with Omicron because this is. Hopefully, will be more、uh, like the flu、uh, virus rather than the original ancestral、uh, COVID strain that caused a two percent fatality. Now, the Omicron, the fatality rate might be might be as low as like、uh, comparable to the flu that is maybe one in a thousand or one to two in a thousand,、uh, depending on whether you are old and sick or whether you are young and fit.、Uh, so that is the end game. That is the end game. But of course, the other. Must do is to make sure the whole world, not only the rich country, got that vaccination rate up. So in Africa, 
the vaccination rate is no more than five to ten percent for the poorest uh, country. So I think Hong Kong has done the right thing to donate the AstraZeneca through the COVAX, and I hope all the rich countries would 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 really fulfill their promise because a lot of the promises has not been been actualized yet. Uh, so that's point number one. How to end the COVID pandemic is the whole world must be in the same boat, uh, not just trying to get a fourth and a fifth dose. And while the Africans are still waiting for the first and the second dose, so that's that's how we should end the pandemic. And then uh, for the other question, uh, why children getting uh, less risk from COVID and you still advocate for vaccination in children? And the caller is very very right uh, because the COVID disease. As compared to the elderly, it's much milder. A uh, UK study has shown, in fact, uh, it's a very good population-based study. Out of half a million children got infected, 25 died, right? And the 25, uh, uh, three quarters of them actually had previous illnesses like leukemia, very difficult to treat uh, sort of uh, other chronic renal or heart diseases and so on. So one strategy in UK for the 5 to 11 is that they do not vaccinate the whole a 5 to 11 population. They only pick those with a prior high-risk uh, health condition, and then they will offer the one-third dose uh, beyond that. Uh, but they increase the duration uh, from 21 days to eight weeks. So because they are very mindful of the myocarditis, but they want to protect the vulnerable, vulnerable subgroup of the 5 to 11. So I think the British have done a very targeted uh, way uh, as compared to America. America is in a very dire situation. And that's why they've got no choice, because the vaccination rate in America is, is, isn't worse than in Hong Kong. I think it's between 60 to 70 percent. It's, so it's very patchy, isn't it? Yes, it's very patchy, especially in you know, some of the poorer states. It's, it's terrible. It's really terrible. Um, so UK is in a much better position to have what we call a targeted um, sort of a approach. In Hong Kong, um, I've just checked our overall vaccination. First dose is 75 percent. Second dose is 70 percent. So it's not bad, but it's not good enough. So we have, still have a lot of hard work to do in the coming uh, couple of months, especially for that uh, 600,000 elderly I've just mentioned. If we focus on that group, make that right up to 70, 80 percent, we are nearly there. We're nearly there to end the, the zero COVID uh, policy and try to transit into a more tolerable social um, uh, uh, sort of way of how we conduct our daily activities. All right. So, but so very for the healthy, but then for the healthy five to eleven, the way to do is to pick a vaccine which is so safe, it's been used for such a long time. We know all the good and bad, although it is less effective in terms of generating antibody, but perhaps equally good in generating what we call T-cell response to prevent severe disease. That might be the way to go. And indeed, a coronavac is that vaccine because it is so safe. An inactivated vaccine has been used for decades. And in terms of the doses, that's been used worldwide. And number one is AstraZeneca. It's over nearly at 2.5 billion. And then coronavac is over 2.4 billion. And then it's Pfizer. Pfizer is trailing just behind. So all these three vaccines have been used for so many billions of doses, uh, especially for coronavirus in children. Because in Pfizer, the BioNTech has been used in limited countries, uh, like in Israel, uh, in, um, in, in America for the healthy 5 to 11. Even for UK, they do not permit uh, to be used in the healthy 5 to 11. They only target for those high risk. Not only children with high risk, 
But if that child lives in a family with another family uh, with cancer, then they allow that child to get uh, the Pfizer one-third dose um, uh, as well. Professor so Lau, think, you're saying yeah. um, that Sinovac is uh, very safe. But um, Mr. Choi, do you think parents uh, should be given a choice on, on what, uh, what vaccination uh, to give their child? Yes, I always, uh, we always support the, uh, the parents have more choice. Of course, uh, what Professor La mentioned about myocarditis risk is, is a main concern. But there's a uh, recently published paper uh, in New England Journal of Medicine. Uh, they already showed, showed that the safety and also the immunogenicity efficacy of the uh, BioNTech vaccine for children 5 to 11 years old, the safety is, is, is uh, already established. And also they found that the, uh, that the dose, uh, they only use one third of the adult dose. As Professor La mentioned, the dose interval, uh, lengthen uh, the dose interval from 21 days to 8 weeks. So already reduced the risk. Uh, significantly. That's why our society uh, suggests the government to consider whether using the pediatric uh, beyond tech vaccine uh, so that to provide more choice to the parents and also the children. Uh, there's two main reasons why we want the children to have the vaccina uh, vaccination. One is to, of course, uh, as mentioned, we want to protect our children, especially children with health problems. The other thing is very important to stop the potential transmission uh, between the children and the elderly. Uh, as you know, Hong Kong is a very small place. Uh, most of the time, uh, the, uh, their grandmother or grandfather take care, uh, is take, uh, taking care of the uh, young, uh, the, the grandchildren. That's why we want our uh, young children to have the vaccination to reduce the potential risk uh, or potential transmission uh, to their grandmom or grandfather. So, so I just want to ask, um, um, what kind of advice do you have for, for parents uh, who are not, um, you know, not sure whether they should uh, give or, or let their child receive the Sinovac vaccine or, or whether they should wait maybe until Beyond Tech is available in Hong Kong? I mean, what advice do you have? I, I don't think we, uh, the parents have to wait because this is time critical, especially at uh, this situation. So I, I know that there's a final vaccine already approved by the government to expand the uh, age or decreasing the age uh, coverage. But at the same time, uh, perhaps the government can uh, revisit the issue of using uh, adult beyond tech vaccine, okay, uh, because the supply of the pediatric vaccine is unknown. And also the application process is very slow and or even have, uh, or even haven't started yet. So that's why I think that we can revisit using the adult uh, beyond that vaccine and also withdraw the uh, one third dose for, uh, for the uh, children five to 11 year, years old, especially children with uh, health problems. May I pause you just there? You mentioned oxygen earlier. Now I know oxygen supplies were perilously running low last year in Hong Kong. How are we fixed this year given supply chain issues and the um, perilous lack of cargo flights. You mean oxygen? Mm. Oh, uh, uh, at the moment, the supply of oxygen is remain, uh, remain steady now, so it's not a problem at the moment. Right. Is there a contingency for that if the need ramps up? Yes, because we, uh, the main supplies are from Hong Kong oxygen uh, in Hong Kong, but we also have another source of supply from China, so I don't think there's a, a big problem in Hong Kong at the moment. 
All right, uh, we have to leave it there. But uh, thanks for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, that's uh, uh, Mr. Cho, um, William Cho, the chairman of the Society of Hospital Pharmacists. And also many thanks again to Professor Lau Yulong, the chairman of the government's uh, scientific committee on vaccine preventable diseases. And uh, um, right now uh, it's uh, 12 minutes past nine and uh, we have a school principal joining us uh, on the program. Um, it's, uh, he's uh, Chim Hon Ming, the principal of uh, Chiu Sheng School, Hong Kong. Good morning. Good morning, Mr. Chim. Good morning, everyone. And uh, thanks for joining us on the program. Um, we're talking about school closures today. And uh, first of all, first of all, uh, were you surprised at all about the announcement? Uh, not really, because uh, we have, we, um, you know, this past two weeks um, condition, uh, we have already um, foreseen that maybe the school will, uh, the face-to-face teaching will be suspended in the near future. So that's why we are, we are not quite um, shocked about the announcement. So, so what's been the reaction of um, teachers and parents? Um, for teachers, because uh, we, we we have already had text uh, meeting on Monday, I urge the teachers to prepare for online uh, teaching. So um, for teachers, they... They haven't had any um, shocking reaction about the announcement. Uh, for parents, I, I met some parents yesterday, and um, quite a lot of them didn't feel good about the arrangement because uh, they really want their the kids to stay in school to have face-to-face teaching rather than online teaching. What do you see are the negative consequences of online learning for kids in your age bracket? For um, academically, because uh, we all agree that online teaching cannot replace face-to-face teachings, and also um, the effectiveness of online teaching, um, I, 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 I'm quite sure that it is not effective compared with uh, you know face-to-face teaching. So academically, it, it, it affects quite a lot, and also emotionally, and um, you know. Uh, because students cannot come to school, they don't have any interaction with, uh, you know, personal in- uh, personal interaction with uh, teachers or, or or their classmates or their schoolmates. That's why um, maybe they have some, you know, emotional problems or psychological problems or all these things. And on the other hand, is that um, their behave, their, their discipline uh, sense or their, their behavioral problems um, may also affect it. Uh, because uh, just like this year when we started in September last year, uh, we find that uh, especially for P- for for the P1 students, it is quite difficult for them to follow teachers' instructions. Uh, simplest way, just like how to line up or how to go to the toilet, how how to take care of uh, their, their school uniforms. All these things are, are really affected because. Uh, they're, they're not coming back to school to have face-to-face teaching every day. Right. And just to explain, the, the, the issue here is empathy, isn't it? We create mirror neurons in our brain, which gives us the ability to have empathy by having relationships with other people and eye contact. And yes. this <clears throat> multiplying of mirror neurons in the brain does not take place with pixels, which is what you see on a screen. So the brain sees a face on a screen, but it actually sees pixels. It's not creating mirror neurons, which create empathy and relationships. Yes, I agree with you, because uh, uh, not only that, this, this thing, and also, you know, the intimacy between people. You know, we have interaction, if, if we can come to school and then have face-to-face teaching, that means we have the interaction. 
actual interaction, physical yeah. interaction with others. And, and this is and, the, and the, for, the for these young kids, it yeah. is really important for them to build up that kind of sense, you know, because if they are on, the only child in in their family, they don't have any siblings to interact with in in uh, at home. Sure, so it is and, really and important um, for them to come back to school to have interaction with the peers and then learn how to, uh, you know, um, you know how how to learn and play, and, and uh, that, that's very important for them at, at this early stage of. You know, of course, of and, their, and you know. to reduce it to brain chemistry again, it's oxytocin, isn't it? It's the bonding brain chemical that gives us the ability to form teams and cooperate and collaborate with other people, which we learn by social yeah, interaction. Exactly. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly what, what we are worried about because, uh, you know, the past two years' time, um, the schools have spent for a quite a long period of time and then the kids can could not come back to school to, to have a face the face teaching, and then we see the negative effect quite clearly. Yeah, so of course we, we know pandemic is really, really serious, um, and, and we know suspension of face-to-face teaching may, maybe is, is really vital to keep our, to keep all of us safe. But um, just like what uh, Miss, Mrs. Carrie Lam said, um, it is, it, I, I, I agree with her, it is not easy to to decide whether we stop face-to-face teaching in school, especially for, for young for young kids. All right, um, uh, Mr. Chim, let's now bring in an expert to, to help us better understand the impact a class suspension uh, will have on the development of young kids. And uh, she's uh, Dr. Kuratulin Zaidi, a Hong Kong-based clinical psychologist from Mind and Life Psycholo- Psychology Practice. Um, good morning and uh, thanks for joining us on the program. Um, Thank you for having me. When the um, chief executive, uh, Carrie Lam, made the announcement yesterday, uh, she did acknowledge that a class suspension would have a profound impact on the mental and physical health of children. And uh, Mr. Chim, who's a um, school principal, a primary school principal here, he also uh, um, said the same thing. But just how big of an impact or, or what kind of impact will school suspension have on their development? not the first time that this is happening. So over uh, the prolonged period of two and a half years where children have been learning online and staying at home, that's that's the worry in Hong Kong, I think, from my perspective. Uh, You know, the first years of development for children are so important. Learning is crucial for the rest of their education. And it's not just um, that they learn how to... um, learn to read and write and do their math. It is the social skills and being in a classroom and what that involves is very important. And at that age, their brains are actually, you know, they're, they are, they're like sponges. Their brains are on fire in a year or suspension of a few months or prolonged suspension um, of uh, this stage of their development can feel like, you know, for them, 10 years or longer. So we are, um, we've got to find the right balance for this. They will be impacted, for sure, uh, with their social interactions, with, uh, you know, being able to concentrate and pay attention because uh, um, online learning has an impact on that as well. So, but mainly how to be, how to engage with the world. 
I have an email here. It's from uh, David. He's he's uh, he says I would like the government to set up lots of free hotlines over the next this next closure situation, so we the parents can talk to child psychologists about situations we have with our children free of charge and without involving the child welfare. Just a straight talk with a child psychologist. And uh, that email is from David. Do you think uh, that would be useful? I I absolutely. Absolutely, because parents need support. Um, they they have to uh, work, and they've they've been handed over the job to be uh, teachers, especially for the young ones, because they do need, um, you know, constant supervision, technical assistance, and the constant cajoling and being able to, uh, you know, get them online. Uh, get them engaged in the activity on a screen, which is uh, very difficult for parents to manage or, you know, any other child give, caregiver to manage because there is a structured routine in the classroom M- which Ms- can't be replicated at home. So it is tough. It's tough for the parents as well. And M- they, the parents have to maintain a sense of balance, keep their stress levels in check and make each day easier for themselves. And if they need the support... Uh, from professionals and being able to talk uh, around this in a community. A community should be set up where they feel supportive by, um, you know, because of these closures, for sure. Mr. Chim, um, we, yes. we just talked about uh, the difficulties faced by teachers and, and students uh, when they when they have uh, online classes. Uh, uh, what's your situation at your school? I mean, do teachers uh, feel, uh, have difficulties uh, when it comes to online classes? I mean, do students um, have difficulty focusing? Uh, I, I, I'm going to say that um, teachers, because uh, the past two years, they have the experience in, uh, in arranging online lessons. Um, compared with last year, they are more skillful this year, but it doesn't mean that they are, they are not stressful. Because it is, it's not their training for, you know, they, they train for face-to-face teaching, but not um, online teaching. So they need to spend more time, lots of time in preparing the materials, um, um, the teaching strategies, and then, the, you know, um, for example, the PowerPoint, the online platform uh, assignment, all these things. That means they spend, um, how to say, free, uh, really much more time in preparing all the things. And the other thing is that because um, it is online. That means they, they are not seeing their kids physically. So how to maintain the discipline and how to make sure the students are really learning? I, I, I'm sure it, it is quite difficult for, for the teachers to, to manage this. And on the other hand, for students, um, I'm quite sure quite a number of students are not concentrated during online lessons because it is quite easy to be sidetracked by other things happening, for example, in their family, or they're, they're doing other things, because it's just a, it, it's just a camera. There are so many things around the, the kids, so they, they can be easily sidetracked. And it is difficult for them to concentrate, it is difficult for them to ask questions, because, uh, you know, during online, using any kind of software, the teachers is not easily to spot who who has problems. Um, and also because they, they are doing the things online, they may not really understand 
what the teachers has already told. So if they have questions, they, it's quite difficult for them to ask. So that's why we arrange every Friday um, afternoon, we have a section for the teachers to have a, a Zoom lessons for, for the kids to ask questions, whether they, they, they want to raise some questions for the teachers. And um, yeah, it is also difficult for, for the teachers to arrange some activities, for example, PE lessons, how to arrange PE lessons, how to arrange IT lessons, all these things, the teachers are now um, try their best to figure out a way to solve these problems. And, and I, I want to say one more thing is about the parents. I see the stretch from the parents, of the parents, because uh, they, they, they have to find uh, some babysitter to help them to take care of the students or even, uh, and they don't know how, how to, um, to teach the students to do their homework, all these things, um, you know, the, the parents are still really stressful. Last time, if you remember, certain schools stayed open so that kids who were latchkey kids or parents couldn't stay home with them. So the kids could come into the school building yeah. and do their online learning in school. Do you see right. that happening again? Yes, of course. Yes. I, 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 we, we received the calls from parents yesterday after um, Mrs. Carrie Lam announced uh, suspension of face-to-face -face teaching. Right after that, we have already received phone calls from parents to ask whether they can bring their kids to come back to school rather than staying at home. And are you providing that service? Of course, of course. So for we, what we percentage of kids? What percentage yeah. of kids can do that? Yeah, of course. Uh, sorry? What percentage of kids can do that? Uh, last year, I think it's around 5 to 10% of the kids came back to school to have online learning. But I'm not sure this year's figures because I asked the class teacher, uh, we, because today we are going to send out a circular and then on in on the circular we ask the parents if they want to send their kids to school uh, during the suspension time, they need to tell the class teacher in advance so we will collect the data maybe tomorrow and then we'll know how many percent of kids are coming back to school to have their online lesson. Seems like a good compromise. Yes, of course. So, so Dr. Zaidi, uh, we've just heard um, Mr. Chim talk about the difficulties faced by teachers, the stress faced by parents. Um, what advice do you have? I mean, what, what can schools do to help or what can parents do at home to, to help uh, lower their stress level? Look, I just want to add about the teachers. Uh, of course, I see, uh, you know, I, I work with a lot of teachers and I see a lot of teachers. Um, and they, their own well-being, they have found this period very difficult because all of them obviously are teachers because they like to be in presence with children, right? So um, uh, for for the teachers, it is, uh, they they need they have worked really hard and they it is important that they they are acknowledged for that um, and they and you know moving forward what schools need to be aware of is differentiated learning because children are going to be at different places and that's what they found difficult to teach from teaching perspective because every child develops at a different stage in a classroom eventually that happens that normalizes but at the moment because of this stop and start 
um, and online and offline, that gap is going to get wider. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is that, uh, you know, for parents and for teachers, it is important that they put in some self-care. They put in, because they're all suffering from, you know, this prolonged uncertainty is causing fatigue and burnout. So it is important that we are putting in um, places, things in place that we are able to take care of our own stress and are able to manage the stress for our children, creating... Um, you know, different activities that we can do together that are not just academically based, but learning in a different way, possibly, and and to putting self-care in place. And what would that look like for the average parent who doesn't have much time? Yeah, no, agreed. You you bring a good you bring a good point, but time is one is the most precious commodity that we have in this world, and if we don't make time for ourselves even if it is 10 to 15 minutes of taking a walk or doing something for yourself to fuel yourself up and put in that uh, petrol in your own body, you're not going to be able to look after other people. You won't be able to be present for that. So stress reduction isn't hours and hours of something. It is just doing something consistently for five to 10 minutes. And it's helpful. Doesn't really, you know, doesn't get rid of it, but it is helpful, and being aware of that is also helpful. All right, uh, Dr. Zadie, we'll have to leave it there for now. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. That's uh, Dr. Kira Chilin Zadie, a Hong Kong-based clinical psychologist from Mind and Life Psycho- Psychology Practice, and Chim Hon Ming, the principal of Chiu Sheng School, Hong Kong. Also, many thanks to all of you who commented through email and even called in. And uh, thank you to Anna and, of course, Yuki, our producer. Now, here's the weather. Mainly cloudy, cool in the morning, and at night, sunny intervals later, the maximum temperature will be around 19 degrees. Um, winds moderate to fresh east to northeasterlies, and the outlook staying cool in the morning in the next couple of days. A few rain patches on Sunday and Monday. Right now, it's 15 degrees, relative humidity 73%. This quarter's demand notes for rates and government rent have been posted. The rates concession has already been reflected, but there is no concession for government rent. Remember to pay by January 31st or you'll have to pay a surcharge. Property owners must ensure that the rates and government rent in respect of their properties are paid on time. If you haven't received the demand note, please call the Rating and Valuation Department's Inquiry Hotline on 2152-0111. It's 9.30, the news with Andrew Shirovsky. The chairman of an education concern group says he supports the government's decision to suspend in-person classes for kindergartens and primary schools, but said the authorities will need to provide support for families until face-to-face lessons resume. Mervyn Jones from the Education Policy Concern Group said young children need more protection in light of the Omicron outbreak. A professor of pediatrics has backed calls to allow parents a choice of BioNTech or Sinovac jabs for younger children. Dr. Agnes Leung, an assistant professor from the Chinese University, made the comments after the chief executive, Carrie Lam, announced that Sinovac would be made available for children aged between 5 and 11. And President Biden has given an impassioned speech in support of voting rights reform, saying the next few days could mark a turning point for U.S. democracy. I'll have more news. 
at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Hello. How are you? Not too bad at all. Good morning. Hello. You never Facebook chat with me, Phil? Good morning. He's got the Tom and Jerry typewriter. It's a great experience if you just want to give a bit of zing. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Welcome to Wednesday, our morning brew, when, as always, is Classical Music Day with composer and conductor Colin Touchin. That's at 10.40. Well, it's hard to think of a musical instrument that's found its place so comfortably in the contrasting worlds of popular and classical music than the saxophone. Yeehaw! So it's invented in 1846, started as a military band instrument, found its way into orchestral works, becoming a solo instrument along the way, and then in the early 20th century, becoming the king of jazz horns. That's not bad, considering by this stage it was only about 60. So today, Colin wants to play you some music by the greats that features the sax in a more classical setting. Beautiful stuff as well. After 11.30, we're going to catch up with RTL France's Philippe Dovar, live from an early Wednesday morning, cold, dark, in Paris, for another French musical tribute. I think we've got Nana Muscuri in French today. And a bit of a chat, of course. Chris Watts is still away doing his thing. He will be back with you as soon as he can. And at 12.40 today, live from a cold and dark once again, London, New York Times best-selling author Paul French is going to be with me to talk about his recent piece in last Sunday's Post magazine. And I figured every Wednesday morning brew should have a good juicy story about 1930s sleaze before lunch. And of course, Paul is our man. Killing time flying high as I held on tight to you To you Did I blow my mind on the wild side Singing hallelujah to him every night with you Yeah. 